bum bum bottom 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 bum b
at a comic book store, an entire bay of just scripts, like yeah. movie scripts. Yeah, yeah. We took a photo of you with your favorite movie of all time, Twilight. <laughs> yep. They had Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair there. Some really incredible Silver Age and Golden Age books. Mm -hmm. uh, we got that uh, Nagasaki Hiroshima manga issue, uh, I Saw It, which I've always wanted to read. And they were selling it for $20. Like, that's nuts. Over uh, across the city, we went to Phoenix Comics and Games. Mm -hmm. Their shop had this incredible vibe, great staff. There was a huge open space for like communal playing and they, they had a really extensive LGBTQIA section, yeah, which really we great. perused thoroughly. Lots of independent titles, a lot of Seattle-based artists on display there. They had an arcade system for Aliens versus Predator. Yeah. Had to gaze upon that for a little while. Across the street from them was Twice Sold Tales. Which is like like the platonic ideal of a local used bookstore because it was staffed by the coolest lady ever. Yeah, she was so rad. And covered in chill cats. Yeah, so many cats in that shop. The selection of comics in there was kind of nuts. We picked up some old Howard Cruz comics. Mm -hmm. uh, she had an opinion on every item that we purchased, and she had recommendations whether she was carrying the comic or not, mm -hmm. which I just really admire in a used bookstore dealer. But then you had the actual con, Emerald City Comic Con, which you're right, does have a different vibe than, say, New York Comic Con or Baltimore or San Diego. More like laid back. It, it was, was very chill. A new convention center, which was pristine and beautiful and widespread, mm -hmm. maybe too widespread for some of the dealers there. I was hearing some people complain about the publishers being so far away from the artist alley and things like that. But from our point of view, I liked the distance we had to travel mm -hmm. and all the different like stops along the way while you were trying to go from the dealer's room to the exhibitor's room. That did kind of remind me of New York Comic Con, how like the different types of shopping were like segmented. So like the bottom floor was all exhibit hall stuff and the publishers. Then the next floor was the artist alley. And then third and fourth floor, that was where all the panels were and stuff. And they had like a Star Wars experience. So mm -hmm. there was tons of Star Wars cosplay this year. Yeah. Cosplay as a whole was really strong. I wish we had taken more photos for mm -hmm. our Instagram and Twitter accounts. I feel like we failed our followers on that front. But a lot of other people picked up the slack. So if you find the ECC hashtag, you'll find lots of really rad cosplay. I think a huge difference between Emerald City and other conventions is how cheap the single <laughs> issues were. Everybody was selling everything half price. Yeah. I, like, we went with, like, we were like, we're not going to buy too much. We're not <laughs> going to do the San Diego thing where we end up having to ship back boxes of stuff. Um, but, like, we came home with way more comics than we anticipated because they were just so tantalizingly cheap. Yeah, I mean, a lot of dollar boxes, right? Mm -hmm. We found the entire Jack Kirby run of 2001 A Space Odyssey for less than 50 bucks. Yeah. Not including issue eight, but then we found issue eight for $25. Mm -hmm. 
And then we were like hunting for amalgam issues. We nearly completed our run of that stuff. And then we were just buying like really random romance comics and just like strange, odd licensed properties like Alien Nation, the DC Comics adaptation, Star Trek Six, stuff like that. And we did not have to ship comics home. Thankfully, we brought two suitcases Mm -hmm. and we loaded those to the brim. Yeah. But for me, like the big thrill of the weekend was connecting to friends in person, those online folks. Hey, that makes me sound like a monster. I'm like, (laughs) oh, but the shopping was great. And you're like, but it's for me, I do prefer people to books. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was trying to do, Lisa. Uh, We ran into a couple patrons. Shout out to Joe R. and Will. We got tons of quality time with them and it felt so good. Yeah, we had breakfast and dinner with them on multiple days. Uh, Former podcast guest David Popose was there nice to meet up with him and finally get some Savage Avengers signed by him Jackson Lansing was there Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've all been following what's been going on with Jackson Lansing and his home situation yeah but he either was already in Seattle when his apartment burned to the ground or it had burned to the ground right before he got to Seattle but his partner Alex was like you gotta stay at ECCC and do your job and he was obviously frazzled but still totally in the game. So gracious. I found it very admirable, but of course she just felt for him so much. And then what has to go and happen, but looters rip off a whole bunch of his comics, including the variants based on his own work with Colin Kelly, and his hard drives get ripped off, uh, Magic the Gathering cards get taken out. If you're in the Los Angeles region and people are trying to sell off bulk versions of that stuff, they might actually belong to Jackson Lansing, so keep an eye out. I cannot wait for the true crime documentary. Oh, man. That... That uh, tells the tale of bringing Jackson Lansing's collection back together. We've seen recently a few shops that we know get ripped off Mm -hmm. in big ways. And thankfully, in both of those cases, the books came back to the owners. Yes. And it it, it happened because of eagle-eyed comic lovers. Yeah. It reminds me of that uh, that podcast about the guy who raided some kind of bird museum to steal feathers for fishing lures. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, it's really compelling. Hopefully as compelling as the panels at Emerald City Comic Con. Our friend Jeff Smith had a retrospective there, moderated by Chris Arant from Popverse. It was sort of a meet the fans type situation with a really long and loving Q&A. I love that stuff when the fans bring the non-awkward material. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely not awkward. It was just all celebration. And the, the crowd was really curious about how Smith does his thing. We got a little thrill during that panel. Uh, a, well, a thrill followed by a swift humbling. <laughs> but um, Jeff is about to go on tour. The Dawn of Man tour across Route 66. Check it out. And uh, he said one of the instigators of the tour was his Tukey sales got a little bump. And and Tukey Volume 2 was doing really well. And he credited that in part to comic book couples counseling, naming Tukey the best original graphic novel. And when he said comic book couples counseling, there was like a little like woohoo, but that woohoo only came from 
Grab knife. <laughs> no, there is a few others because Joe R. and <laughs> Will were also in attendance. Joe and- R. is the sweetest, and he later apologized for not wooing louder, which I think underscores how embarrassing that moment truly was. I was not embarrassed by it <laughs> at all. And I think that it just shows that people do care about our podcast yeah. a little bit more than they did. Like, yeah. And I'm so thankful for Jeff Smith shouting us out in that panel because we were interacting with a lot of folks at Emerald City Comic Con. We did pick up a lot of listeners at that show. We had our own panel, Lisa. Oh, it wasn't our own panel, but, but we were on a panel, which was an honor. It was called Unnecessary Debates, and we had to match wits with cartoonists, artists, and generally cool people, Molly Osborne and Emily Martin. The panel was hosted by Mike Wood, who did a great job Mm -hmm. emceeing. We were invited onto that panel by Mike Tanner, the co-writer of Orcs in Space. A book we love. I have no idea why he thought we would be good on this panel. (laughs) He clearly thinks that we're funnier than we actually are. You were really nervous about doing the panel, but I gotta say like, it was a little rough going at the beginning for us, but we fell into a groove, and by the end of that panel, though, and like, here's like the deal, like the unnecessary debates are things like who would be a jerk and leave their laundry in the machine at a laundromat, right? right? Or what Avenger? That was like the first one, right? And yeah. we went with like Spider-Man and Molly and Emily went with Tony I- Stark. Iron Man. Iron yeah. Man. And I think we lost that initial uh, battle. Yes. But by the end, when we had to create a musical based on a prior franchise and we chose Jaws and then we had to create a song and sing it. Thankfully, I had Lisa. (laughs) We slayed and we ultimately ended up winning the entire contest and I was shocked and I think the crowd really fell in love with us, Lisa. Winning? I mean, like, yes, numerically, we won because... Our applause was louder. Our was... No, well... I hate I hate to be nitpicky. <laughs> we were slightly ahead in points before the final question. The, yeah. the I guess kind the musical of one. Right. And then we decided to collaborate with our competitors on that final number. But I think by collaborating, we kind of all won. Like that's me in debates. That's why I was nervous because I was like, how can we create a competitive atmosphere of debates where everyone wins? Right, right, right. Well, you know, I'm so glad we did it. I think we ultimately came away from it uh, in a good light. People did come up to us and ask for stickers and ask for marital advice, which was kind of exciting. One gentleman came up and asked for some advice regarding his divorce, Mm -hmm. and Lisa really brought a lot of thought and consideration to his plight, and I was very moved by that entire experience as just like a little observer. It was extremely sweet, but we were definitely the least funny team. Yeah. I think that Emily and Molly were uh, way more prepared for the improv debate element. We got to work on our improv. We got to yeah. take some classes, I think. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, yeah. Mike really threw us a bone by having not one, but two singing <laughs> questions so we could walk away from that panel having had a lot of fun and having like a shred of dignity left. 
For us, it was an extremely unique way to end the con. That was the last thing we did. Mm -hmm. And I was totally satisfied. At the same time, I also know that there was a lot of things that we missed at Emerald City Comic Con because it was such a jam-packed show. Yeah, I am so upset that we missed the Meet the Comics press panel because I think that we probably could have gotten a lot out of that panel. Absolutely. Because it had such cool people on it. It had Heidi McDonald from The Beat. That you now write for. I do. Uh, Check out my latest review on Dua Powerbomb. Link in the show notes. It is glowing. Also, Deb Aoki from Manga Splaining. So cool. And Nola from Wawak, the Eisner Award-winning comic book review site. Lucky for me, I did actually get to run into all of these amazing women later, either at the bar or uh, me and Nola have like an annual fun Comic-Con tradition of taking taking a photograph by the ladies' room. And that's what we do. And I can't wait to do it again in San Diego, during San Diego Comic-Con. We look so cute together. So our ultimate review of Emerald City Comic-Con is a big thumbs up from both of us. Seattle is such a cool town. It's got great bookstores, great comic book stores. It's the home of Fanagraphics. Mm -hmm. We went to their shop, bought a lot of stuff there. And thanks to Kit... We actually got a tour of their offices, which was a dream come true. What a treasure trove that place is. We were just like gawking and gaping. And and taking lots of photos. Which you can find on our Twitter and on our Instagram. What I found so beautiful is that when I think Fantagraphics, I think these like really sharp thoughtful, literary publications. It's the Criterion Collection of comics. It just feels so substantial in your hands. And then you go to their office, which is actually a house, and you you realize that all of this beauty arises from chaos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and it's just kind of... um... Chaos and love. It's where we all come from. We all come from chaos and love. It's what you wouldn't expect, but also what you would totally expect. It's perfect. Does that make sense? Yes. It is perfect. Uh, They even printed out a copy of an upcoming book for us. I was like, oh, I'm really excited about this comic coming out. And Kit was like, well, here you go. Right out of the printer it comes. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, just too, too kind. And yeah, um, Seattle, we love it. I don't know. Do we move? Do we have a Pacific Northwest vibe now? I know my hair does. It is really dreary and rainy. That is true. And we definitely didn't pack well for (laughs) Seattle. I had one hoodie that I needed to wear all the time. Your jackets never got you warm enough. So we would really have to consider like a whole new wardrobe change if we were going to live in Seattle. Yeah, well, you know I love to shop. That you do. Now, I'm sure some of you out there are going like, shut up about Seattle, get to Robert Kirkman. We're here for Robert Kirkman. Well, then they didn't look at the show notes because you're going to put a timestamp. <laughs> I, I will have a timestamp. <laughs> uh, yeah, Robert Kirkman. It's the 20th anniversary of Invincible. The first issue came out in January 2003. And I was there. I picked up that first issue and I fell in love with that comic from the very beginning. Now, my understanding is that its origins rests in this idea, this desire that Robert Kirkman had to write 
Ultimate Spider-Man, but also knowing that Brian Michael Bendis was never going to give up the reins on that comic book. So he took his Peter Parker, renamed him Mark Grayson, planted him in the Image Comics universe where he could really go wild. So much freedom is over an image that doesn't exist in Marvel. Invincible is allowed to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. The whole run is done now. Since we've been married, those spines of the Invincible comics have just been staring at me, mocking me. And I don't know if I should say this right before we have Robert Kirkman on, but I have <laughs> given Invincible, like the college try, twice. And both times I crapped out. You crap out at a specific point. Mm -hmm. You crap out at the monster girl and robot storyline. And I kind of understand why. It's probably my least favorite story, although I think there's a lot of interesting things to be He's really trying. He's trying for something. He's doing something different, right? But right. it does read like a diversion from the Mark and Eve story. And it, when it comes in... I mean, it pulls you so far out of this really intense moment mm -hmm. and it frustrated you. Yeah, I yeah. get it. I totally get it. And I've been trying to get you to restart that read of Because Invincible. I love the beginning yes. so much. Yes, and you love the relationship between Mark and Eve. And Mark and his parents. <laughs> so when and his we parents to each other. got an email from Skybound saying, hey, would you like to chat with Robert Kirkman? You say yes, of course. but I also saw it as an opportunity to get Lisa back on board the Invincible train and have a four-episode podcast series diving into the relationship of Mark and Eve. The problem with that, though, is because it is a beginning, middle, and end book, where do you start that four-episode podcast series with this couple. We couldn't possibly do the entire run. No, you can't do the whole run in four episodes. So do you make the first episode about their meeting mm -hmm. before they were ever a couple? Do you start it when they become a new couple? Do you start it later on in their marriage? It's tricky. But now we have Robert Kirkman with us, and we can ask him that question. And Robert Kirkman can tell us where to start with Mark and Eve regarding their romance. And that's how we start this conversation with Robert. And he delivers an answer that I was not anticipating and that I love. Yeah, it's kind of brilliant. The conversation is not a long one. We didn't get the usual hour plus time with the creator. Robert Kirkman had 15 minutes. Very busy and important person. And you know what? You never turn down 15 minutes with mm -mm. Robert Kirkman. And because of our conversation being so focused on what we want to get out of Mark and Eve, it actually works pretty perfectly as a primer to our next four episodes after this one, which again, are all about their romance. That doesn't mean we don't bring up firepower as yes. well, because we have you, questions. You have to, and firepower has a core relationship that is very different than the one that Mark and Eve have. But I think kind of also picks up a conversation that yes. started in Invincible. Yes, 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 exactly. Firepower feels like a romantic sequel to Invincible. And so we chat a little bit about that as well. If you're not reading Firepower and you're an Invincible fan, you are missing out because like Invincible, which was illustrated by Corey Walker and mostly Ryan Otley, Firepower is a gorgeous mm -hmm. comic book. Chris Somney on that book Killing it. is next level good mm -hmm. on Firepower. So please 
read Firepower if you're an Invincible fan. And if you're a Firepower fan, hopefully you've read Invincible. Not every Firepower fan has read every Invincible because, uh, yeah, that's me. Right, right, that's true. And this is actually a good place to ensure folks that we're not going to spoil the entirety of Invincible here because again, Lisa hasn't read it. Mm -hmm. We're gonna take that conversation all the way to the point where Lisa ditched, but we don't really go beyond that. And again, it's only 15 minutes, so it's kind of impossible to spoil all of Invincible in this chat. And then following the interview, we're going to tell you exactly which volumes of Invincible to read so that you can read Invincible along with me. How fun is that going to be? Hopefully super fun, especially for those tuning into Comic Book Couples Counseling for the first time. I think this will be a great intro into what we do here. Yeah, so what we do is we take a comic book couple like Mark and Eve and we pair them with a self-help book that we think will really help them along in their romantic journey together. And we're not gonna spoil what that self-help book is just yet. We won't do that until after the chat where we reveal where we are starting with Market Eve in Invincible and the love expert that Lisa has selected for them. So with all that said, Robert Kirkman on the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast, here we go. Robert, thank you so much for joining us at Comic Book Couples Counseling. Welcome. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. We are so excited that you're here because we have a problem. It's an emergency. It's oh, an no. emergency. We are about to launch our podcast series covering the romantic relationship of Mark and Eve. And we need four story arcs over the course of that entire series to cover because we're doing four arcs over four episodes. Yeah, the premise okay. of the pod is that we take a self-help book Pair it with a comic book couple and extract romantic lessons from that. But okay. there's just so much invincible. So do we begin at the beginning when they're not technically a couple? Or do we start in the 40s, you know, somewhere around 43, when they finally start to become like an official item? I feel like you might want to start later because then you can cover more stuff. I feel like when you're covering the early relationship, you'll cover the precursor stuff that happens and the issues before that. So I feel like by starting late, you'll be able to get to the meat because you want to get to them being parents. Mm. You know, that stuff, that stuff's important if you don't, if you don't quite get to that stuff and some of the uh, trials and tribulations that happen along the way. Uh, so yeah, I, I, my, my opinion is uh, start, start late. I actually, I wasn't, even going to consider that, but that's kind of an interesting idea. Right. Uh, because- Because not every superhero story has to start with the origin. That's ridiculous. And usually the origin's super awkward. I know it was for us. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> Are there any romantic lessons you feel like through Adam and Mark you you like extracted and, and used in your life? Gosh, yeah, you see, these are difficult questions and, you know, post pandemic and quarantine, my brain just doesn't work like it used to. <laughs> Uh, so, so I don't know. I mean, uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, my wife and I have been together for over 20 years. So, uh, I think one thing that, that, that I feel in my relationship that I don't know that I necessarily learned from Mark and Eve, but it's like the, the, the long comet tale of the relationship. It's like when you've been together for a long time. So like the worst example of this is my wife and I started dating when she was, well, we were both teenagers. Like I think we were both 19 and she was a horrible driver or, or she couldn't drive a car very well. Is that the word? Yeah. And so, uh, uh, so I used to like rib her about that because I wasn't a good person. 
So I'd be <laughs> like, ah, you know, be careful out there, whatever, you know. And then uh, uh, we've been together for like 10 years. I think it was probably a little earlier. I've been together for five years. I'm still ridiculing her for being, you know, not the best driver, but it's just because I got into that rut as a human being and <laughs> she had improved vastly. And in our relationship, I hadn't acknowledged that change. And so I think that, you know, that's one of the things where it's like with Mark and Eve, Mark is constantly having to remind himself that they've been together for a long time and they're growing as people. And so he needs to keep updating how he sees the person he's with, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. that's something I try to do. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. You constantly have to re-up in your relationship because if you stay static uh, as yourself or if you keep the image of your partner as who they were when you were in your 20s versus where we are now in our 40s, dangerous yeah and also you replace all of yourselves every seven years so we've been together almost 14 years like literally we're completely like we're no longer alec holland we are swamp thing we're going through here you know exactly yeah yeah so i am curious about when you were thinking about their relationship initially like i mean was it was it always the plan to like separate Amber and Mark or was Eve and Mark always a thing? Or is that something that just sort of evolved over time? Uh, it evolved over time, but it, uh, I have to give credit to Corey Walker because uh, very early on in the book, we had introduced Adam Eve and Corey was like, it's so boring that these guys are going to end up together. Like everyone expects it. It's so obvious. Can we try to hold off the romance stuff as much as possible? And just like, you know, do more stuff with these characters before they get together. And, uh, uh, and it, and I hadn't even really considered like, Oh yeah, but, but I could tell like as a writer, you know, it, it was just kind of evolving to them being a couple. Uh, and because of Corey's pushing against it, I think when Ryan took over, I was like, okay, uh, now that Ryan's on and Corey's not drawing the issues, I can do some more romance stuff and, and kind of set some relationship stuff up. And it, it seemed more interesting to have Mark be with a normal human character that didn't have superpowers just to uh, kind of explore that side of things. Uh, but it did, it, it definitely was by that point, like, okay, eventually he and Eve will be in a relationship and, and that'll be a little bit, you know, that'll be a little bit different because they both, you know, relate to each other on a different level and they both have superpowers and they both have that side of their lives in common. And so, uh, uh, but, but that natural evolution that I think made the relationship so much better, you got to see Mark and Eve interacting as peers, uh, you know, before they ever had any kind of like, you know, like romantic uh, uh, entanglement, uh, you know, that was all because of Corey complaining. Hmm. I also think that the relationship between Mark and Amber is so important because like he was being so terrible, you know, and he was fumbling the ball. And I think that that is true. Like when you're dating as a teenager and young adult, you're just going to be a piece of shit. That's like just part of the deal. And you, and you, yeah. So you have to go through that first relationship, make all of the mistakes, invent some new ones, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the fun of the whole series was having Invincible be a fallible character that messes up constantly, uh, not even just in his relationships, but, you know, he's constantly changing his mind, contradicting himself, being a hypocrite, learning from his mistakes, making more mistakes, uh, you know, over the course of the series, he's kind of a mess. So when you finally do bring Eve and Mark together and there's that 
like really awesome splash page where she storms into the dorm and says, I hear you're single. Uh, are we dating or what? And it recalls, you know, you hit the jackpot, but it's not quite a Peter MJ moment. Can you sure. talk about like wanting to set up that final image on that issue and then leading into where it develops? Yeah. I mean, uh, partially I don't remember, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, like, you want to have that, uh, you know, face a tiger, you hit the jackpot kind of moment. Like you, I, I wanted to have that kind of like iconic thing that readers could look back on and be like, oh, this is when their relationship started and to have it, you know, have some kind of visual representation. Uh, and I think that Eve is just a really like strong and capable female character. I, I, I like her being a little bit overbearing. I don't know. Overbearing might not be the right word. Direct. I think, I think her uh, direct and confident. Uh, you know, I thought that was a fun, uh, you know, angle to take with her. Uh, and so, you know, you don't see a lot of female characters that are, you know, like, are we dating or what, you know, that's yeah. not necessarily a thing that you see a lot. And so anytime in Invincible, we could do the thing that played against type and was unexpected, like that's what we tried to do. So that was just, you know, that was that effort. Did you have other comic book couples where like you modeled them after either like a, I want to, I want something that is like this, or I definitely want to steer away from this kind of dynamic, like sp specifically? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I try to make the, the couples as different as possible. I think that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, like if, uh, uh, like in walking dead, I don't think you could say Rick and Andrea or anything like Mark and Eve, Although I guess there possibly are some similarities, uh, just because I am, I am only human and I can only write so much. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I try to make things as different as possible. Maybe we're like going the wrong direction. Maybe we don't do right off the bat, Eve and Mark. Maybe we go like Amber and Mark and Monster Girl and Robot. That that's an interesting romance. I feel like we could. And it does yeah, like alter, like <laughs> it the does alter robot the is the, the weirdest romance. Is it the weirdest romance? In it's comics? pretty, know, it's pretty weird. It's, it made me uncomfortable. And, and, and <laughs> it was a moment when we were like, I read the series first and then Lisa followed after me. Yeah. And when Lisa hit that series, she's like, what the hell is going on? It's definitely, I mean, we always try to authentically look at how the lens of a superhero universe changes like normal things or how taking a superhero trope and treating it realistically makes it weirder so mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh you know age regression or people you know trapped in child bodies and things but they never really explore what that would be like so with monster girl and robot it was it was kind of like all right let's uh let's go there and like you know, actually like talk about like what it would be like to be a 25 year old person, like trapped in a 12 year old body and what torture and like how horrible that would be, um, you know, and then robot clones himself a younger body so that yep. he can relate better, which is creepy, but uh, <laughs> you know, somehow it works out. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, to me, it satisfies something that Anne Rice heavily like, probed probes a bad word here but explored <laughs> an interview with a vampire yeah with the child vampire character but then never really like considered it and then monster girl you get so much consideration from her perspective and i think that's like the big appeal of her character and 
that arc. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting relationship because with the Flaxen storyline where they end up spending thousands of years together, um, you know, you could kind of see, uh, you know, maybe that's like the perfect relationship where they get to spend thousands of years together. Uh, but you see how it like sours things and it ends up being a tragic story by the end where things, you know, really fall apart and that, that thousand years affects them in ways that they couldn't have really anticipated. And, uh, you know, things get real dark from there. Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> now, you know, we admire so much of your relationship dynamics throughout all the comics that you have written. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Walking Dead already. You're currently doing Firepower, which is one of our favorite books on the stand. We love to oh, see thanks. it like a functional married couple. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm curious, when you moved over to Firepower to tell that story and to tell that relationship, um, even though there's some skeletons in the closets there, yeah. like how had your point of view on telling a romantic story evolve from invincible to firepower like what's really driving the relationships of firepower yeah i mean i don't know how i've evolved uh i i know that story-wise invincible was very much you know about teens to begin with and so that was kind of a uh you know naive lens to be looking at a relationship through uh with firepower you know uh, uh owen and uh kelly are adults and so they have a very adult relationship. They have children that, you know, they've been, you know, living their lives. And so um, it's not, it, the craziness of their world isn't completely new to the relationship. Kelly is aware of Owen's past and his, you know, ties to this crazy temple and his martial arts past and everything. Um, but uh, uh, as the world gets crazier and the the conflicts, you know, more directly affect them, uh, you know, I, I hope I'm like, portraying their relationship in a little bit more of a mature light um you know with the uh uh good lord i was prepared for an invincible interview i'm forgetting his <laughs> names and firepower but uh like uh, ling yeah ling's on that's that's yeah. what i'm looking for uh her her name changed uh, behind the scenes a couple of times when i was thinking of her previous name and i was like that's <laughs> not it but uh uh but yeah but you know the the situation with ling's on kind of crops up and you think there's going to be some kind of like comic book love triangle or something and it's like no like she was in my past completely different relationship uh just because the comic book reader has seen the uh like storybook romance that they experienced at the temple uh you know i like that it kind of made the audience feel like there was going to be this like you know, big typical love triangle that was going to emerge from that. But when you look at that maturely and realistically, it's like, no, they had like a like storybook romance when they were very young and it ended. And, you know, that can't really compare to being married to a person for, you know, over a decade. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not really going to be the conflict that you would necessarily expect it to be. So that was a way of kind of pulling the rug out from under the reader to a certain extent. We've been together, we've been married almost 14 years, been together 15 plus now. And I think back to the early version of Brad and Lisa, and I don't necessarily recognize them. Very cringy. It's very cringy to think about the those early <laughs> dating days. Like, how do you look back on your, like when you look back on your own relationship, is it a similar feeling? And even like your relationship, not necessarily your relationship with your person, but like your relationship with your art, your relationship. That's what with I was going to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say my relationship with my wife, I look back on the early days and I feel like I was very cringy. I don't know that I necessarily acknowledge that she was, which is embarrassing to admit. 
but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, we get old, we get mature, we get boring. I, I don't know. Is that is that what I'm looking for? Well, here? well, well, you're putting out a facsimile edition of Invincible One out, sure. and, you, and you've got like a, a really rad black and white edition that's coming out as well. And you've and, had a long-standing relationship with this piece of work. And and now it's like, well, here's what it was like in issue one. Like, is there a vulnerability to revisiting? that issue one. Yeah, it's definitely something that Corey and I don't look at a lot. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I had to reread it because there's a, a there's like a commentary section in the back where I talk about the original plot and everything. And uh, and and it's it was weird. Like you go back and you read your first issue and it's like, I would have tried harder maybe mm. if I was writing this now. Like there's not enough, there's definitely not enough meat on the bones, I feel like if I'm just analyzing Invincible's first issue. Uh, so I guess uh, in that respect, you know, you definitely don't look back on 20 year old work favorably, or if you do like either you're, you were just really good or you're fooling yourself. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, I'm definitely like overly critical of that time and, and uh, I don't necessarily respect the writer I was. <laughs> Well, we respect that writer that you were and still oh, are, and we're loving how the show is bringing more readers to Invincible. We're excited to see those new readers crop up, and we thank you for you know having this conversation with us. We're going to use it to tease our uh, Eve and Mark series, and I think I like the idea of starting later in their relationship yeah. when they're fully formed and then exploring it to the end of the series. So that's what we're going to do. We will take right. your advice to heart. What if we were Please like, eh, nah. <laughs> no, that's, that's also fine too. Listen, you guys know what you're doing. I'm no podcaster, you know, <laughs> you guys do what you're doing. It's great. So no, I'm very excited about this uh, podcast series. So that that'll be fun. Well, uh, I'm sure if you that. aspired to be a podcaster, you could do it. I you seem so. hyper capable. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, thank you, Robert, for hanging out with us. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Great talking to you. Thanks. And there you have it, listeners. Next week's episode will launch our couples counseling session series on Mark and Eve with Invincible Trade Paperback Volume 21, a.k.a. Modern Family, which covers issues 115 through 120. Mark has left Earth with Eve, their new parents, starting a new life on a new planet. And then in the following sessions with Mark and Eve, we will be reading all of the way to the end yes. of Invincible. So in a way, if you like squint and you turn your head and you look, I'm kind of, I'm kind of finally finishing Invincible. Lisa, kind of. you are going to be skipping, I think, volumes 18, 19, and 20 mm -hmm. because Monster Girl happened in 17. Yeah. So there is some stuff that you're going to want to like catch up on maybe. But I'm kind of going to be picking up on that stuff through like context clues and And you've stuff. already read Modern Family, right? I have. And you have enjoyed it, correct? Very much. Okay. All right. All right. I'm so excited for this series. I love the ending of Invincible, but I think there is going to be a lot of heartache, mm -hmm. a lot of conversation, a lot of learning about ourselves as well as Mark and Eve. I feel like we have hit the ground running with getting that romantic wisdom from this series from Robert Kirkman's story about his wife and her driving. Yes. That idea of like your relationship is a comet with a tail. Like the person, when you're with someone for a long time, 
the person that you're with is no longer the person that you were when you got together in the first place. Which is also the case with you, right? right? You know, he wrote this story in his head when they first got together that his wife was a bad driver and he carried that story well beyond the point when she was no longer a bad driver. And I think that's something that we've talked about in the past on this podcast. It's something that we have struggled with. Mm -hmm. I think the bad driver thing is interesting because you, Lisa, mm -hmm. have written a story about yourself being a bad driver. In my defense, it was based on the several car accidents I had yes. really close together. Yes, you had some really rough wrecks, but that was a long time ago. Yes. And you're no longer that person. Yeah. And I think you are actually a better driver, even though you continue to this day saying, joking, that you are a terrible driver. You got to stop that, Lisa. I also am still bumping into stuff. But am I bumping into <laughs> stuff because of the you narrative? Did just, you did just put a dent in the car. <laughs> just on the side. Just a little graze. Oh, well, a tight turn. You know, we, uh, but, I, but maybe that's a result of the narrative that it, you're that's writing. That's what I'm saying. You got to stop telling that story, Lisa. I need to to add to our words of affirmation in the mirror, I am a good driver. That's right. I That's am right. Yeah. a comet with a tail and a great driver. I am so crazy excited for our next four episodes. I'm really looking forward to Lisa reaching the end of Invincible. I think that this story totally sticks its landing. It's one of my favorite conclusions to a long running storyline. And yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm already trying to like spoil things. I gotta, <laughs> Don't I gotta you dare. tamper that down. Don't I, like, you dare. Like Lisa's now read Modern Family, which will be the topic of our next episode. Mm -hmm. But I'm so excited for her to get to reboot, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I think reboot's going to melt her mind. Do you feel like that's kind of like emotional spoilers though? Because uh, now I now my mind is prepped okay. to be melted. Okay, okay. I'm gonna shut up. I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> Lisa, who is going to be our love expert helping us guide Mark? and Eve along through their sessions. Of course, we are not relationship experts, nor are we counselors. No. We're, We're only experts in ourselves. That's right, and in loving each other. Yeah. So for our relationship expert, I have chosen Mark Brackett, food, food PhD, PhD. <laughs> and the book is Permission to Feel, Unlock the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive. Love it. I think that's a really great pairing, Lisa. I hope so. Um, it's got a Brene Brown quote on it, so I we feel like her. she signed off on it. Yeah. So episode two will be Reboot. Episode three in this series will be Full House. And then our fourth and final episode on Mark and Eve will cover the last two trade paperbacks, volumes 24 and 25, The End of All Things, parts one and two. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have read Almost all of Invincible, except for those three trade paperbacks that you skipped. Lisa. But I think I can honestly say I have completed Invincible. <laughs> I want our listeners to start tweeting Lisa at Sidewalk Siren, telling her that she has to catch up and read the rest <laughs> of those middle trades. I won't do it if Brad tells me to do it, but if you tell me to do it... Uh, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's our future with Comic Book Couples Counseling. Uh, we have some Creator Corner conversations also in process. So be on the lookout for those as well. March is going to be a crazy big month. Uh, at the end of it, I'll be leaving Lisa to go to WonderCon for just three days. How dare you? You better bring me back a present. I'll bring you back a present. And yeah, I think that's it. I think uh, we don't want to spoil anything else. Uh, 
get on our Patreon. We're going to launch a new podcast series on Patreon, which we can't really talk about yet, but it's going to involve a really cool comic creator and you're going to want to be a part of it. There, I'm done pro- with promo. Okay, so can I um, cue us for the outro? Yes, please. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter and If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Hive Social at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service... Why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. All right, 15 minutes. Here we go, Robert. (laughs) And not one second longer. (laughs) You're a very busy and important person. We have all of the time in the world, on the other hand. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Three, two. One.